Forbes magazine earlier this year came out with the most powerful people in the world for 2018. How do they come up with this list? Well, uh, they look at leaders in the world and they see how much influence they have, how many people that their decisions touch. They also look at their financial resources and how actively they wield power. So here are the top five for 2018. We have Xi Ping X, uh, Jinping, uh, the leader of China. And this is the first time he's been number one because this past year, it was 2017, they expanded his powers as well as the fact that they took away term limits. So he rose to number one. Uh, Donald Trump, our president, was number three. In the number two position, Vladimir Putin, and uh, he's uh, been number one for four years in a row before, of course, uh, the other one rode uh, to the top from China. Uh, Vladimir Putin has been leading Russia for since the year 2000, and uh, also in the last election he had 77% of the vote. So he is very, very influential and, again, very, very dangerous. Then we have Angela Merkel, the chancellor of Germany, and she came in. She's kind of the de facto leader in Europe these days, and she was able to put a very strong coalition together and uh, be reelected. And uh, so she's, uh, she's always been the most powerful woman on the list and then we have, of course, Jeff Bezos and good old Amazon. He had a really tough week. <laughs> he lost $12 billion when the stock market went down. Imagine that, $12 billion with a B. Oh, my. The number six goes to Pope Francis and the influence he has over millions and millions of Catholics around the world. So here we have the top five again. These are the people who have the power. But do you know that in 50 to 75 years, all of these people will be dead? Right? And there'll be other leaders if we're still around here. Uh, yeah. They'll be dead. In fact, when you think about great leaders throughout history, and both good and bad, uh, you think about, of course, Winston Churchill, uh, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius. Uh, they're all dead. Julius Caesar dead. They're gone. No longer having any influence on this world. There's one person who's lived and is still living that is the most powerful leader 
in this world and in this universe. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has always existed. There was never a time when he was created, the Trinity, always they've been here. And they will always be here for eternity. We're going to be looking at this verse, Isaiah 6.1. as the first verse in a passage we're studying today, talking about the holiness of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Who is on the throne? Well, God is on the throne. In fact, this is a very fascinating passage because when we look at other scriptures, we see that this is actually a Christophany. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, it's a vision of Christ. It's God, but specifically, it's Jesus Christ before he became a man and took on a fleshly body. And so, yeah, Jesus Christ, the God had three and one are on the throne. And they are sovereign. Talked about this past week, uh, last week, that is God is the supreme authority and all things are under his control, right? Everything is under his control. Well, I hope you've been enjoying the Real God series. I think we're in our uh, fourth week, and we've got so much more to go. And I, again, just want to thank you. I want to encourage you that you guys are really digging in to this study. Of course, we have our Sunday mornings, and then the small group studies are taking place and getting great reports uh, from men. So many of you new people involved, thanks for that. Then the Real God book uh, that you can read along as we go through, and it will talk about, for example, this week you can read the chapter on holiness. And then we have the family devotional you can access online And then, of course, we encourage you to invite your friends. And I really like this type of approach because today I'm just going to be talking about God's holiness. Now, in 1 Peter, he writes, for it is written, God says, be holy because I am holy. That's our motivation for holiness, the fact that God is holy. Now, I'm not going to give you a lot of application this morning. I more want to usher you into an experience of God's holiness, of getting a sense of how holy He really is. And what does holy mean? It means to be set apart. It means to be other. It means that there is no category 
for him. God is, is totally separate, totally other, far, far. We can't compare him to anything because he is so unique. In fact, this probably is the core attribute of God. It informs all the other attributes. Because when we study, let's say, the goodness of God, well, He is unbelievably good. We can't really even conceive of how good God is or how just He is. We can grow in our understanding, as we know, Our image of God is going to impact how we live day to day. That's the premise of what we're talking about here. The more we understand who God is, the more we'll respond to Him in a way that pleases Him. Let's look again at Isaiah 6.1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, And the train of his robe filled the temple. So we have Isaiah, the prophet. He's writing this particular letter, this book. And Isaiah was probably one of the greatest prophets that ever lived, biblical prophets that ever lived. Very, very influential. Now, now Solomon... He was king of Israel at their greatest, their greatest uh, state. I mean, they were ruling the world. They had more land. They had more resources. But sadly, because of Solomon's sin, there was a civil war that separated Israel into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom was Judah. Uh, that was focused around uh, Jerusalem, and the northern kingdom was all the other uh, tribes. And what happened was is that they all had a series of kings. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll see first kings and second kings. Well, <laughs> when you read there, you can read all about the kings of the southern kingdom, Judah, and the northern kingdom. And there weren't very many good kings. In fact, it was a time of moral decadence. The Israelites continued to become more and more sinful and to wander farther and farther from God. And that's why biblical prophets weren't very popular. (laughs) They didn't have a lot of good things to say. Now, sometimes they had good news from God They had a blessing they wanted to give the people. God wants to encourage you. But mostly, it wasn't good news. And they would say, woe to you. Because of your disobedience, this is what God is going to do. This is what God wants you to do. And uh, please, repent. Turn from your wicked ways. So that was Isaiah's job responsibility. You've got to remember, they only probably had the Pentateuch in that day, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, so uh, they didn't have 
the full revelation of God's Word. You've got to appreciate that. You know, they only had the Pentateuch. People in Jesus Christ's time had limited scriptures. But we have it all, and we're getting near the end. And that is such an incredible privilege to read all of what has happened and how God has worked. The Bible is your number one book, right, in your life. It's an amazing gift that God has given us. So, you have uh, the people who were rebelling, and uh, King Uzziah was one of the kings in the southern kingdom of Judah, and he was a relatively good king. Now, Isaiah, he was the prophet during four different kings' reigns. He was, he was around for a while. And King Uzziah was pretty good, but then in the end, he became prideful. And he be, everything went downhill after that. God gave him leprosy because he had become so arrogant. And we need to watch our hearts, right? It's so easy to become prideful of so many different things in our life. And what God values most is humility. It's coming to God and saying, Lord, (laughs) I'm nothing special, but you are. You are. So King Uzziah died. And there was a lot of fear in the land because things weren't going well. King Uzziah was just kind of holding it uh, together. And so at this point, it was like 740 in the year, well, it was probably about 740 B.C., 740 years before Christ came. That was the year. He had this vision, Isaiah did. He said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So this vision that he had was of the temple of God. And God was revealing this to him. And it said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Sitting upon a throne. He didn't say, I saw the Lord in the situation room because there was a crisis on earth that he had to solve. Or I didn't say, I saw the Lord in a particular country working on a particular issue. (laughs) God doesn't need to go anywhere. He is on the throne, always been on the throne, always will be on the throne, and he's sitting on the throne today. And when we understand that, it brings a sense of confidence, a sense of stability, that things can be falling apart in this world or falling apart in our lives, and God is still on the throne. Nothing surprises him. Nothing catches him off guard. Yeah, he is in total control. He is sovereign. He is holy. 
like no other. This is where, again, I encourage you to, to stop and really meditate upon this passage. Oh, yeah, God's on the throne. That's what kings do. No. No, God is on the throne of the universe. And he's in control. Never an anxious thought enters his mind. God is holy. You know, the wisdom of our American fathers of creating three separate areas of government, the Congress and the President and uh, the Supreme Court. That, that was very wise. And of course, we heard a lot about the Supreme Court a couple of weeks ago, right? And uh, But when you look at any of the... <laughs> you look at any of those areas uh, today, uh, it doesn't seem very healthy, does it? Not something that gives us confidence, but, but you don't have to look at that. You have to look at God, and He is on the throne today. And He'll be on the throne when your life goes south. He'll be on the throne when someone close to you dies. He'll be on the throne when you go through a divorce. He'll be on the throne when you find out you have some illness that might end your life. And again, he's not anxious. He's in control. He's at peace. Doesn't that encourage you? Life can change like that. But God is always, always on the throne. And God is high and lifted up. He's above everything else. Remember, He's holy, He's separate, He's different, He's Unique in every way, and therefore, he is high and lifted up. We have to look up at him. And as I said before, there's this balance between the transcendence of God, the fact that he is holy, and we, we need to understand that, but also the imminence of God, the intimacy of God, that he is so close to us. Sometimes I'll be in prayer and I'll be struggling and I'll just imagine me holding the hands of Jesus. I'm sitting right there, I imagine. He's there, but I visualize him. And uh, just hold on to his hands. And God, help me. <laughs> Comfort me. Empower me. And that, that's imminence. And, and, and that's great. That's perfectly fine. But I think what's happened in evangelicalism is we've lost a sense of the transcendence of God, how holy He is, how different He is. And that's what we're focusing on. 
today. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Anybody hear about the royal wedding this past week? <laughs> it wasn't very well known. Uh, it was uh, Princess Eugenia, who was Sarah Ferguson's daughter. And, and she got married. And, and, you know, it was like a royal wedding. They had all the bigwigs there and things like that. But, of course, not for uh, well, more low-key, I guess you could say. And this... Uh, is her dress. Yeah, I was reading about the dress, and I said, only women care about this type of stuff. I mean, it's a dress, okay? That's all we need to know. But I was interested in the train of the dress. The train of the dress. Now, as women know, uh, the train, I mean, again, things are becoming more informal, but the idea is that if you're going to have a traditional a wedding, a formal wedding, you know, you need to have a longer train. If it's an informal wedding, just some type of dress, I, I don't know. But the point being, <laughs> yeah, the longer the train gets, the more important it is. All right, so, so imagine you're coming to a wedding here at Springbrook, and you walk into a room, and in fact, you can't even get in because the bride has a train that fills the whole room. One woven garment covering all the chairs, kind of covering the stage. You push it up because it's so big and it's like 10 feet on the walls, just covers the sound booth. And, and you try to get in, and all you see is white fabric. And you say, what's going on here? And so you guys are tearing what's out of fabric and looking in. Oh, wow, this is really different. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, that's what Isaiah saw when he saw the temple. The robe encompassed everything. It, it just didn't stop. It's not like Isaiah could look at the robe and say, okay, I, I can see where this ends. No! It just was up the walls everywhere. And why is that? Because there is no train, no robe, the length of a robe that can express how holy, how different, how extraordinary God is. Think about that. Think about that. Just the dress, think about the dress, think about the, I don't care, just think about it. That's what we have to do when we're, when we're understanding the attributes of God. Just, you know, we, oh, yeah, I can, I can list them all. Who cares if you can list them all? Do you, do you understand them? Do you own them? Do you feel it? Do you experience it? When we think about a God 
That's unlimited. <laughs> you know, nothing, nothing can contain him. I was just kind of reflecting on the creativity of God. I, I'm a creative person, <clears throat> and so I really appreciate the creativity of God. Does anybody know? Now, this is a deep sea fish, deep open fish. What an angler. Has anybody seen an angler? Okay, a couple people here. Well, this is what an angler looks like. Pretty creepy, huh? Yeah, a very, very ugly as we went, might view it. And I. He's he's down in the bottom of the ocean, and, and it's pitch black, thick black, pitch black, right? And, and the interesting thing about the way God created this fish is he put something there on top which glows. It glows. <laughs> It's kind of like a fishing rod and a lure on top. And there's glowing bacteria. That, that's what makes it glow. It's bacteria that glows. So they're along for the ride, you know, parasitic relationship. They get their nutrients and that kind of thing. And he gets his fish because obviously the fish are going after something that glows when it's pitch black. And so they come up to see the light. And Look at those teeth. Oh, mercy. Now, do you ever just think, why, God? Why? Why would you not? Why, why would you create this? Nobody's ever going to see it except for people. Uh, now we can. But nobody's ever going to see this fish. And not only did you create this species or this uh, type of fish, there's like 100,000 different types of this fish why did you waste your time let's talk about efficiency here all right why because god is unlimited he has so much creative power he put so much thought into the beauty of this earth that we will never see. Don't you love to get out in creation and look at just the beauty or, or travel around the United States, Grand Canyon, Yosemite Park. Oh. And uh, when you go on those vacations, if you have younger kids, or even if you're all adults, remind yourselves that you can worship here. I mean, really, oh, that's cool. That's a big hole, whatever. You know, some people say, wow, it's just a hole. What? what? Just a hole? You might not like holes, but that's a pretty cool hole. You know? I mean, look at that thing. He created it. If you're, uh, <clears throat> I saved my voice for the second service. Uh, <laughs> this is, uh, Finding Nemo. Anybody remember this shot? This is the picture I mean, from Finding Nemo. 
this is an angler, uh, again, animated. <laughs> God is amazing, isn't he? Hmm. In that year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Now verse 2. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. Now, this is the only time that seraphim is mentioned in the Bible. But, now this is your, uh, your Bible study for this week or today. I want you to go to Revelation 4 because there's another scene in heaven uh, where God is on the throne. And a lot of similar, similarities here, especially with these creatures. So they had six wings, two covered the face, Two covered the feet, and two he flew. Hmm. That's really an odd creature, isn't it? And I, it's a type of angel. It's a seraphim. And God designed this angel to constantly worship him. Every moment, we can't even talk about time up there, <laughs> continually. And so, with two wings, they covered their face. Can you think of why that might be? Remember we talked about Moses a couple weeks ago and how he wanted to see God and show me everything, God. And God said, no, that would kill you. But I will show you my backside as I, as I move through this portion of the rocks. And, and he saw that. Well, I think that that signifies that they can't look directly upon God. Because what's happening with God's holiness is that his glory is emanating from it. So when we go through the earth and we see all these beautiful things and see what God has done, that's all His glory from His holiness, His uniqueness. It, his glory emanates, and, and His glory emanates from us, right? When, when we're living a supernatural life and people see it, and we're pouring grace into other people's lives. That's the holiness of God emanating, covering, filling. And with two, he covered his feet. Now, why is that? Again, this is conjecture. But we do think about Moses, right? And how he uh, was walking down a dirt road, and he came up. To a burning bush. I can imagine that Moses had walked that road many times. Many, many, many times. But this time, there was the bush. But it was on fire. 
but it wasn't burning up. And so Moses is saying, imagine, you know, taking care of sheep, walking the wilderness, there ain't a lot to see. But if you see a burning bush, you, wow, okay, this is the day. <laughs> and uh, what does God say? Take off your shoes, right? Because you're standing on holy ground. You see, anything that is set aside for God's holiness is very, very special. So that dirt ground that's been there for who knows how long became holy because God was there. God makes things holy. That's his job, to make things holy because they're compared, right, to God. If they're set apart by God, that makes them holy. So you say, well, what what makes God holy? What, what gives him holiness? Holiness is the fact that he's God. That, that he's totally different and other. Well, is it because he's holy? God writes the rules. God determines the law. God is an entity unto himself. Yeah. So the idea here is that, again, uh, maybe it's the idea that this is the presence of God and we're covering our feet because we don't want to stand in the presence of God. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And maybe you're thinking, now why would God create angels that would just do this all the time? All the time. Isn't that a little prideful? I've asked that question. And you know, the only reason we ask that question is we, we do not understand the holiness of God. We do not understand God. And how, I can't think of a word <laughs> for holiness. Yeah, I mean, But when we start to think about this and start to kind of wrap our minds around it, we understand how different he is from us. Because so many times we bring God down to our level, right? We're kind of like God, you know. So we start, you know, saying, I'm pretty holy. I'm holier than the other person. Isaiah 6, 4. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Sounds like a great thing at Six Flags or something, right? You know? Get everybody in the big room, start shaking the place, pumping in the smoke. Oh, this is so great. We have to go on this again. The pillars of the temple were shaking. Think of a video from an earthquake where everything is falling. And the voice of him who called God speaking in the house was filled with smoke. How do you think 
Isaiah responded to this. Oh, God, that was great. Let's do it again. One more time, okay? Can I bring some friends next time? Because it, I tell you what, if those idiots down there who are always rebelling against you saw this, no more. No more. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for the privilege. And I said, Isaiah, woe is me. Woe is me. That's something to say for a prophet. Because that was their job. To speak for God and say, woe to you. He did it ten different times. And I say, woe to you. God's coming. There's going to be judgment. And now he calls down judgment upon himself. He curses himself. I'm lost. I'm dead. I'm silent from a man of unclean lips. Why did you say lips? Well, because these creatures were just always speaking with their lips, right? Holy, holy, holy. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So he's actually identifying with the Israelites. He's saying, I'm one of them. And they would think that he was this Mr. Spiritual top of the heap. He says, no. No, for my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. And that's what happens when we're in God's holiness. When we, when we start to understand. We feel so sinful, so undeserving. We feel like we don't deserve to live. That's God's righteousness and His holiness. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, I ran out of time. <laughs> Come back for part two in the next service. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, man, I, I was just reading this. I, I don't know. It just took me away. Here this guy is ready to die. He doesn't deserve life. And again, the coal is brought to his lips. And he's healed. His sins are atoned for. Again, the covering of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Here's kind of the main point, and the main point is God's holiness. But here, Isaiah was just feeling so sinful, so undeserving, just laid out. And, and the coal touched his lips. And he was forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm wasted like that, I'm not getting up. Right? I'm going all the way down for as long as I can. And wow, that was, I was just so terrorized by that. But then 
Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Well, what happened to him? He's, I mean, here is saying, oh, I don't know, I'm so unworthy. Oh, hey, I'll go. I'll go, I'm your man. That is the power of the salvific, salvific work of God. That's Jesus Christ coming into a person, and they say, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve you. And Jesus Christ says, you're right, but I love you, and I died on the cross for you. I paid the penalty for your sin, and now you're going to be holy like me. Amen. Come and help me out for Pete's sake. Amen. Amen. That's one. That'll be all another message, just to change, right? And that's what God wants to do in your life. And you say, "Oh, my life is too messed up." You're right; it is too messed up. That's where you have to go. That's where you have to go if you're going to experience God. Say, "Man, Lord, I'm not worthy. I, I don't deserve to be a Christian." Bingo. You humble yourself, and He exalts you. We're going to have our team come out at this time. And uh, just give me 10 more minutes. Um, so important. Uh, I want to go through these uh, lyrics written by Reginald Herb uh, back in 1775. The, word, the song Holy, Holy, Holy uh, was started to use in churches in 1826. Abraham Lincoln sang this. <laughs> back in that day, everybody sang it. Okay, it goes that that far back, 200 years, the song has been sung. And um, as we sing it, I just want you to close your eyes and view the throne room. I'm going to sing this song and another song. If you have to leave, that's fine, I understand. But just uh, let the holiness, ask God to, to show you His holiness during this time and uh, to encourage you because if you know Jesus, He's forgiven your sins. So let's just uh, bring it together. You stand.